Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I'm joined by Franco Sama, an indie film producer with 22 films under his belt, including Guns, Girls, and Gambling, starring Christian Slater and Gary Oldman. He's attended AFM 17 years in a row, and he shares some great insight to the event. And we talk about what it takes, from the business standpoint, to make indie films. Let's get into it. And here we are with Franco Sama at AFM. Franco, how are you, man? Thanks for being here. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me over. Oh, this is fantastic. Um, This is my first time at AFM uh, with Indie Film Grit. And um, it's definitely not your first time. You've been here 17 years. In a row. 17 in a row. That's astounding. Um, Wow. So, so many questions about that. First off, um, the first year you came, what was your reason for coming? Uh, the first year I came, the main reason for coming was to just to network with people, to get, you know, to know kind of who, who was in the game. And, you know, the first time was exciting. Um, and I met a lot of first timers this time. And it's, it's fun for me to see that because it helps me sort of not be so, not be so jaded. <laughs> you know, I can uh, look in. I can see it through their eyes that that first time, that awe and, and that wonderment. You know, and uh, so I I, wor- I work really hard to make sure that I don't ever sort of burst anybody's bubble. But having been here seventeen years in a row, uh, it's just different. It's really changed a lot. It's nothing like it used to be. Um, not necessarily all bad, you know. I'm just saying that it's different. You know, the world's changed. Mm-hmm. The distribution market has changed. The everything's changed. So I'm just a trooper, you know. I just keep showing up and adapting, and that's really all you can do in this environment. Yeah, and uh, you are an accomplished uh, producer of uh, indie features. You've got like uh, something 23. like 23 films under your belt. Um, Beyond that, can you give us a little background for my audience? Uh, tell us, like, how you got into filmmaking? Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, I always knew... I was one of those kids, you know, uh, that... I, I, I was around eight years old when I think I realized that uh, there was something different <laughs> about me than most of the, my, the fr- my friends and, and my cousins and stuff. And uh, some people looked at it like, a little crazy, you know, this idea of, because I knew I wanted to be in the, in this business. But what I did not have is I did not have the, the bug of like, I want, I never wanted to be famous. I never wanted to be on TV or in a movies. I just always knew even at that young age that I wanted to be in the business, like on the business side. And so my, one of my favorite stories is, um, um, I used to watch Merv Griffin the Merv Griffin show. And I'm talking about the original one when it was black and white. Oh, wow. Yeah. And while my parents would watch with me and they were always excited about who the guest was, you know, some famous actor or something that was a guest. And I was much more interested in, like, I'd be literally sitting there thinking, how did that guest get in that chair? Like, who's the person that made the phone call? (laughs) Wow. Of course, not understanding any concept of what an agent or a manager was, you know, but who's the person that is responsible for this moment happening right now? Like, that's what my head was. So that's why I say, you know, I was definitely different in in, in that respect. And my full full circle moment came because I loved and admired Murph Griffin. I just thought, I still, I've always thought he was a genius. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough, there was a benefit uh, being held for him. He was winning some award at the Sony Studios on the Jeopardy set. I don't know if you know, he, he created Jeopardy. Oh, yeah, a oh, ton and, of yeah, shows, right? And Royal Fortune, yeah. And so I was there with uh, my then uh, business co- colleague, and, um, and afterwards they had a little luncheon, and I got, up, got, got a chance to go up and, and shape, shake his hand and, and meet him and tell wow. him my story and 
How tell, old were you tell then? Tell him. I was in my uh, 40s. Oh, okay. Yeah. And to tell him that I, you know, he was single-handedly my motivation for moving to California and becoming what I wasn't then. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. a film producer back then. I was actually a publicist back then. Um, but it was just such a great experience for me because it really was a full circle moment, like my whole life. He was one of my idols. And he did those jingles on Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read in his book that he, he made a fortune. He still does. This estate still makes a fortune every single time. And I watch Jeopardy religiously. <laughs> and every single time I hear that jingle for the at the end of the show... Um, I, I hear ka-ching from mm-hmm. Merv, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, Netflix just got a hold of Jeopardy, and uh, I watched the, the championship yeah. all the way through. It's the first time in my life I've been able to watch more than one episode at a time because yeah. I'm used to catching it before Wheel of Fortune right. my whole life. It right. was fantastic going, yeah. just binging it. Yeah, you know? I'm, a, I'm a total junkie. Yeah, I'm I love a Jeopardy that show. junkie, for sure. So, um, so yeah, so I started off... Uh, you know, that was, so anyway, that was my dream, you know, at mm-hmm. eight. And then cut to, I'm in uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, 39 years old, working as a consultant for the auto industry, hmm. where I would go into car dealerships that were failing and turn them into profit. I had 90 days to turn them around into profit. Oh, wow. And I did that for 12 years. Uh, so here I was in Buffalo, New York. And on this particular day, there was a 22-inch uh, blizzard, and nobody was going anywhere. <laughs> and I sat in a coffee shop, which, of which I have a photograph in my office. Um, and um, and I wrote a letter, you know, to God and to myself, like, what's this life I'm living here? Why am I in Buffalo, New York, in 22 inches of snow, in a job that I hate? You know, I was making a boatload of money, but I was miserable. Mm. And what happened? So you were good at your job. I you loved just... it. Yeah, I, at the beginning. Yeah. But it got old. The traveling got old. The, the all of it got old. And um, the car business was kind of getting, you know, a little shady. Or it was just I wanted out. You know. But more importantly, it was well, what happened to that kid? What happened to the eight-year-old ambitious little, you know, entrepreneur? And so I, in those days, you know, this was in 1996. Uh, I had a travel agent. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we didn't have orbits or kayak or any of that. <laughs> and I called her up and I said, Betty, book me a trip to L.A. I'd never been to California before. And I came out here for a couple of weeks, uh, two weeks, and uh, I met a gentleman who was a photographer. Uh, and um, uh, one by hook or by crook, I convinced him to give me a job as a publicist, even though I didn't really know what that meant and he did he hired me and uh, the very first gig that we got was uh, uh, a six page spread for InStyle Magazine with um, InStyle Magazine for Francis Ford Coppola oh wow yeah so it was like this whole thing was just like like this dream coming true and I, I think it's because I made a decision that I wasn't going to just keep doing what I was doing I was also having a midlife crisis I was 39 getting ready to turn 40 and I was I was having that moment, that question. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, what is this? Like, well, it's great that you acted upon it. Thank I God. feel like uh, <laughs> there's probably a lot of men out there that age. I'm around that age. I'm 41, just turned 42, that uh, feel that urge to, to, to live the life they're meant to live, but they don't go for it. Yeah, I mean, it's a scary thing. Yeah, yeah it's a very scary Especially thing. Especially if you're making decent money. Yeah, I had to walk away from that. Yeah. I had to do that twice because after I started working for for this photographer. I worked for him for three years, and I loved it. I mean, I got to work with Will Smith and Jada Pinkett. I got to work with Gary Ullman, who I've since made a movie with. Um, talk about another full circle moment. Wow. Gary and, Oldman, uh, he's one of the greats. Yeah. And then, um, and then I had to leave that, too. You know, and I now had a different security, right? I had a paycheck, and I had insurance, and I had the whole thing. And I walked away from that again three years later because I realized that that's not what I came here for. I didn't come here for that. I came here uh, for something else, but I wasn't sure what that was mm-hmm. until I found, like, executive producer. I didn't really know what any of that meant, you know, mm-hmm. the differences. Sure. And once I figured it out, uh, I was hooked because it was all of my skill sets 
Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was an, an opportunity to utilize. I have a degree in psychology. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I spent years in the business side, in the, the consulting, in the auto industry. And I had good people skills. But I was 40 years old, and I was competing against people half my age who had twice my knowledge. And that was a challenge at the beginning. Yeah. But I knew that the only way I was going to make anything of myself was if I had to carve my own path. I, I wasn't, I, wa- I couldn't go like start in the mailroom at William Morris, you know, back right. then, which is what everybody did, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and I couldn't, uh, I didn't have a resume. I had one, but it was completely irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, and yet you were successful in your earlier fields. Um, yeah. That must have played into at least your confidence. Yeah, well, I, I always say I had life experience. Mm-hmm. You know? I had life experience, and I had so, so even though I might have been competing against somebody who was twenty, I had you know double time mm-hmm. on them, you know, for for life. <laughs> it's so interesting how you got turned on by by the film industry. I mean. Most, you know, young filmmakers or whatnot, it's all about the visuals or, you know, the, the awe or the spectacle. But uh, for yeah. you, it was the behind the scenes and specifically the business. Yeah. I just, that is fascinating. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a salesperson at heart. You know, I'm a, I'm a closer, you know, mm-hmm. which is really my strength now in finance, you know, is closing, fund, funding and stuff. Nice. And, um, you know, but I took my hits. You know, it's been a it's been a tough. I mean, it's been a tough journey. I've had more than one time when I was gonna walk. You know, like it just been gotten to be too much, or I had just fallen too far because mm-hmm. it's a really tough business to be in. Um, and again, I'm not on the creative side, although I feel as though I have a great appreciation for the artists and the and the uh, the creative aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't classify myself as a quote-unquote suit. Right. Right? And, that, and I think because, I, I, because of that, I get to kind of stand in the middle, mm-hmm. you know, and I get to represent the filmmaker, which I do today, uh, in their interests, while at the same time representing the investors <laughs> in their interests and making sure basically that everybody's happy, um, which... They're not, they no, they never are. <laughs> but but that's my job is to manage that and wow. to manage expectations, you know, mm-hmm. particularly around first and second time filmmakers who are sort of my specialty. I, I spend a lot of time working with and educating uh, first and second time filmmakers. And a lot of that came from the fact that uh, I didn't have that. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't have any. I mean, I made some colossal mistakes mm-hmm. at the beginning of my career. And I tell filmmakers today, I'm here not to prevent you from making mistakes because that's the only way you're going to get anywhere in this business or in this life. Um, but I'm here to help you prevent you from making those career-ending, colossal, gigantic mistakes like the ones I made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm here for that so that yeah. I can protect you so you know, and surround you with, with good people and, and, and smart people and experienced people and give you a little bit of, not necessarily a leg up or an advantage, but give you that confidence that most first and second time filmmakers lack. But more importantly, the information, because I feel like that's where, there's a lot of common mistakes the first and second timers make when they're going out to raise money for their first movie. Right, I bet. And uh, um, uh, I attribute that you know, to really one thing, which is just a simple lack of experience or a lack of knowledge, right? And I feel like that can be fixed, right? You just teach people. Mm-hmm. And now that lack of knowledge no longer exists, right? So now they know. what, And, and I love that, and I thrive on that. What I can't tolerate is the other side, which is the arrogance, mm. which is that they do know, and they do it, the wrong way anyway. Oh, you know, um, and that I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't have any patience for that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I love the fact that um, you've been producing all these years and continue to produce. But like you say, you're trying to also educate. Yeah. And you do a fair amount of public speaking. I on, do. On, on, on for indie filmmakers, correct? I do. I'm kind of all over the place. Yeah. And it's funny because I was just saying to somebody earlier today. People come, literally, this is the only place, by the way, in the whole world, this little microcosm of AFM, 
where people recognize me. I mean, literally people come up to me. Yesterday, a young lady came up to me walking in between the two hotels and introduced herself and said, thank you, I've heard all your stuff on the internet. And I had one guy tell me that he, um, he, he, he flew, it was his first AFM, he flew in from South Africa. Wow. He had a 16 hour flight and he spent a good deal of that time watching me, <laughs> which was weird, you know, right, right. Like, me? And, but the interesting thing about that is I have never posted a thing on YouTube, personally. But it's because of what you just said. I travel all around the country. I was a keynote speaker at the VIP Film Summit in Washington, D.C. a couple years ago. Wow. Um, and so people record me, and uh, then they put it up. And so there it is. And apparently there's quite a bit of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would think, uh, have you ever thought about harnessing it yeah. and owning it? And then... Uh, Actually, building upon your brand in that way and, and monetizing I it. I have, yeah. I have, but um, I don't know. I made a few attempts at it. You know, um, I do have. I do. I teach a free film finance class. I've been doing that for years here in LA, and uh, I recorded the last one. And I just haven't taken the time to edit it and put it up and do all the things you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Because then I would have a little bit more control over the narrative and the quality, and because sure. some of these things are done on you know iPhones and. You know what I mean? But it doesn't matter to me. Look, I just want to spread the word. I'm trying to tell filmmakers there's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do this when it comes to financing. Uh, people ask me often, what is the biggest mistake that filmmakers make the first time? And I, my answer is always the same. They go out looking for money way too soon. Mm. They're not ready. They think they are. Right. So <laughs> what, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, can we? Can you shed some light on that? I mean, obviously you need to have a script at least, right? Yes. Yeah. Is and that the baseline? Yes. Okay. And you should have a good one, right? And that doesn't. And that's subjective, right? Mm -hmm. What's good? Sure. Right? So, and everybody thinks they have the best one, and everybody's convinced that it's an Oscar winner, and everybody, you know, and that's great because I want people to have that kind of uh, faith and 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 you know, pride mm -hmm. in their work. Sure. But then you're going to get your check for two million bucks. Mm. That 108 pieces of paper. Right. Right. And so what I teach is if you're looking for money for a film, you need to learn, this is what I teach, you need to learn how to speak, investor speak, mm -hmm. not writer speak, creative speak, right? Because it just goes over investors' heads. They're mm. looking for an opportunity to invest and make money. Right. They're not looking f for what the protagonists, you know, like, they don't <laughs> even know what that means. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like two different uh, languages it is. trying it's to like, communicate. It's exactly what it is. It's like you speak, you know, one and I speak the other and we're sitting here trying to have a conversation neither one of us has any idea what the other one's saying. Mm -hmm. And then, and I had a guy come up to me after one of my uh, one of my speeches and he said, you know, I'm fr so frustrated. He said, um... Uh, I've uh, I've met with five investors and I pitched all five of them. I, and he says not one of them said yes. They're all they all said no. And my response was, well, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> How are you pitching this thing? And most of the time, it's the elevator creative pitch, which is important. Like mm -hmm. get that out there. Let us know what your story's about. And then they that's it. That's all they got. Mm. No business plan. Not no, that they don't have a budget. They don't even know. Not even the, a budget. No, no, they don't have a budget. They have. They'll tell you they have a budget. You know. So I'll say, you know. So what's your budget? And they go, oh, it's two million. And I'm like, okay, cool. So why don't we start with? Why don't you send me that? Mm -hmm. And they're like, we'll send you what? <laughs> I'm like, you know, the budget. <laughs> oh, I don't have a budget. <laughs> that's what they would like the budget to be. Yeah, oh, I, I, that's what. I think I can make this movie. Well, how do you know that? Right. <laughs> like, I don't know that. And I can read your script, and I still can't tell you what the budget's going to be. I can give you a range, maybe. Mm -hmm. But until you sit down and bring in a professional and break it down and know what you're talking about. Same thing with the um, sales projections. Like, I say a, a, a filmmaker seeking funding should never, ever, ever go out looking for money unless they have taken the time and the expense of figuring out what the value of the film is in the world. 
through right. the sales projections, right? It's part of my development program. So, because if I'm going to bring to my investors, I, this is information I need, mm-hmm. you know? So, those are kinds of some of my pet peeves. Is like, they don't have a budget. They don't have any idea. They have, they have crazy ideas of who's going to be in their movie, mm-hmm. right? They got a movie that they're going to probably make for $750,000, and they think they're going to get Bradley Cooper, you know? <laughs> Um, so it's about managing expectations, and I, and I don't mean to, I don't want to sound critical. I'm just saying that this is what I hear every day. Right. This is the kind of stuff I'm confronted with on a daily basis, and this is one of the reasons I started te- teaching is to is to say to these filmmakers, you know, slow down. Right. There's a there's there's a way to do this. There's systems. There are ideas that other people have used successfully. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're going to Approach an investor, even if it's your own investor, do it the right way. And when when you are talking about uh, you know um, what what you project that the film is actually going to make, uh, doesn't it make sense to know what the audience is going to be before you make the film? Well, yeah. I mean, you got to. For me, what I do, uh, the way I look at it is the, those projections are based on four determining factors the cast number one and i'm talking about a wish list because of course we don't have a cast yet and Mm -hmm. we don't even know if we're going to be able to get any of these people but we got to have a list and uh, what i do is i consult with the with uh, you know casting directors Mm -hmm. i bring casting director to the table bring them in as consultant on the project and have them actually help us navigate that turf because they know more about that than i do right so, and then I sit down with the sales team and the casting director and the writer and the producer and the director, and we have a powwow, and we, we narrow this list of 50 people down to five. Mm-hmm. And those are the five people that we're going to go in for projections and, or valuations with, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a system. There's a method, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not just the cast. It's the director is the second one, the genre, and the budget or the budget level. Mm-hmm. Those are the determining factors. And again, they're just projections. Sure. But they're not guesses. Right. They're based on other things. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're projections. And so I have a formula. You know, when the projections come back, they come back in three columns, low, middle, and high. So mm-hmm. they'll give you three different variations of those projections. My rule of thumb is your low, which is the lowest you can expect, should be one and a half times your budget. Mm, okay. So if I have a $1 million budget, I'm looking for a $1.5 million low estimate. And that's when when people see that, they'd be willing to invest because, yes. of course, they're getting their money back. Yes. Yeah. And that's just by selling territories. That's not including a limited theatrical release or any theatrical release. Oh. That's not including a Netflix deal or a Amazon deal or anything deal. Mm-hmm. It's just... Pre-sale valuation. What is the value in the world of this particular project based on this particular uh, um, criteria? Mm-hmm. And it's and that's at least a starting point. So now at least, because even my budget, my budget's not going to be my shooting budget. My, my budget is just my initial preliminary budget so that I get wrap my head around, is this a million-dollar feature or, or is this a $5 million feature? Mm-hmm. Like how... We had one just recently. It came in at 3.7, and we had to make a decision. Are we going to cut it down to three to kind of keep it in the sweet spot, which means we have to make all these sacrifices? Or are we going to bring it up to five and a half and knowingly increase the budget to a point where it's going to make it a lot more difficult to finance it, Hmm. but to make a better movie because of it if we can get there? Yeah. And we chose the higher. Oh, cool. Of the two. Um, so these are the decisions you make during the during the development process. The development program that I've instituted and successfully is because I've got lots of films spinning out of it now, you know, into the world and <laughs> production. Um, it's um, it's just a matter of really understanding that there is a process to go through, right? Um, and to for people who are willing to to actually do the work, and mm-hmm. I mean, I just come on as a consultant, so I'm more of a coach. Mm-hmm. But they're doing all the heavy lifting. 
Yeah, so the mo- most of the it's their uh, movie. So <laughs> yeah, so most of the projects you're involved in, with it sounds like um, you're there from the get go. You're not coming in right. after the movie's made. You're, I, I yeah, have, yeah. I have come in and gotten distribution for films that were completed. Hmm. But yeah, my thing is coming in from er, from early is early on. The less encumbered the project, the ease, the more I can help. Hmm. If people come to me and they've already got a director attached, or you know. Their um, their girlfriend is the lead, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy out there, right? So, if they have all the stuff attached, um, it's then sometimes it's a matter of undoing mm. some of it, right? In order for me to be able to come in and do what I do, right? And so that's much more of a challenge, and I'm more, less inclined to want to work on a project like that. Somebody brings me a great script. They have some money for development that they can invest in the development because the m- development money uh, we we try to return when we lock budget, we give it back, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if they have some development money and they're able to do the, the basics <laughs> um, and they're committed to doing the work, um, then uh, I'm, I'm much more interested than if if they bring it to me and it's just piled up with all of this stuff that makes no sense. Hmm. Uh, or, or like I said, they've got 18 people on their IMDb and we've never heard of any of them. Right. You know, you're not gonna. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you definitely know a lot of stuff that indie filmmakers themselves kind of ignore. Like you often hear. Mm. They just, it's all about the film. They make the movie, mm-hmm. they get it done, and then what? Great. How important is marketing when it comes to what you do? Well, first of all, just to that point, one of my uh, catchphrases is getting the money isn't the hard part. Getting the money back is the hard part. Mm, right. Okay. So in terms of what you just said about ignoring, <laughs> that's what is being ignored. Like, I, I know a lot of filmmakers that say, well, I need a million dollars. And I'm like, okay, great. And, I, and they know exactly how they're going to spend every nickel of that million. You know, they got that figured out. But to the question of how are you going to get that million dollars back plus 20% plus a profit on top of that for an investor, they're like, well, mm-hmm. well it's just going to be such a great movie that everybody's going to want to go see No, that's not the plan. <laughs> that's a nice little fantasy. And it may even be true, mm-hmm. but that's not going to get an investor to write you a check for a million dollars. That's not right. good enough for that. Uh, but to the marketing thing, yeah, I mean, we do what I love, one of my favorite things. Because remember, look, I'm in the $1 to $3 million range. I'm mm-hmm. not out there making... You know, hundred million dollar studio movies with three hundred million dollars in P and A. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm making these little independent, cool little like Gary Oldman, you know, Christian Slater kind of David Arquette movies nice. you know, that I'm happy with that I love. You mm-hmm. know, and the idea is to make them and make them well and have them do well. And if one of them hits and gets big or makes you know wins a win award, great. But that's not the in- intention, right? So what we do is we do uh, limited theatrical releases. And we do them well, and we do them successfully. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll take a, th- a film, and we'll do like 20 markets. And we actually have, uh, I have a company that I work with that uh, has the relationships with all the theater chains and whatnot. Nice. So we can work out a deal with you know an AMC or a Cinemark or something like that, right? Where we'll do 50 theaters in the US for one week and we'll cut we'll cut an amazing deal. But we have a couple hundred thousand in P and A money to do that with. Wow. Yeah. And so you make money obviously on the ticket sales. Do you amp it up as sort of an event and sell yes. T shirts and merch and things of well, that not, nature? Not quite that far. Okay. But we do, do a major premiere, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole red carpet, you know, thing. Sure. And uh, so we'll, we'll spend a good chunk of that money on like twenty grand on just on that one night mm. out of the two two we, we spend about two fifty for for these events, um, and then however many theaters that we can get across the country. But the the beauty of doing a limited theatrical release is, you know, we still have control of the film. Uh, it's being seen in theaters around the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it's building an audience, hopefully. It's it's render uh, uh, rendering reviews and and critique, you know, hopefully good ones, 
you know, they're not crushing us. And I'm sure that's strategic as to which um, theaters yes. you do, depending on it what is. the film that's is. That's exactly what we do. We do yeah. the research. We figure out what markets are the most appropriate. If it was a kind of hangover kind of a movie, then we're going to go to Boston, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm, if it's sure. something that's going to play better in the South, then we're going to go there. So, so there's a lot of research done in that regard. But the, 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 the thing I want to, uh, there's two points I want to make about that. Sure. One is there's two ways we can do it, right? I can do a, uh, what's called a rev share with the, with the theater chain, which basically means that um, we're going to share the revenue on the ticket sales, right? And they got always get the concessions because, you know, they, oh, sure. they, they knock it out of the park on the concessions. So... But on the rev share, the benefit is, you know, um, maybe my trailer is playing in that theater the whole week leading up to my re my release, oh, nice. right? In all of the theaters, if it's a megaplex or something, mm -hmm. uh, they're assisting, actually participating in helping us promote the movie, right? Right. If we do a buyout, uh, we're on our own, right? And we get one poster on the front of the you know, outside of the theater. And the buyout is basically you rent the room <laughs> yeah, and yeah. take the ticket sales. Yeah. 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 Which which seems to be more effective. Well, it used to be the buyout. Mm. Now it's the rev share. Mm. In my opinion, almost always I'm going to want to take the rev share deal because, you know, it's a, hard, it's a tough market out there. Yeah. And you can use all the help. You know, we're always going to hire a publicist, you know, a strong publicist to promote the film. Uh, I did a movie uh, executive produced with uh, Chris Klein. You know, Chris. It was called Game of Aces, and our premiere. You know, the the PR team did such an unbelievable job, and the, I'm telling you that movie was plastered. All the, the interviews they were on every TV show. Oh, that's great. Local, you know, it was great. Yeah, I was going to ask about that the, as far as the different uh, communities across the nation where you when you're playing your film. You, you buy out uh, commercials on the local yeah, stations? Yeah, usually for yeah. that, again, all that week leading up. That's awesome. And part of that P&A money is to cut those mm. to cut those spots, like 30-second spots. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and, yeah, have a solid trailer that hopefully we can, we can get played out there in, in their theaters. So, so I, I encourage that, you know, because this way at least oh, – the other thing I was going to say is by virtue of having a legitimate, as opposed to a four wall, you know, where you, you're going to rent the theater for one night, you know, invite all your friends and eat popcorn and watch a movie. Um, but the benefit to limit the to release is that it tends to increase the value of your picture bet uh, between 20 and 25% in the international market. Oh. So now somebody who might have been willing to pay $100,000 for the rights in, I don't know, wherever, right, Indonesia, now they'll pay 120 or 125 because nice. it has the cachet. And the other thing I, I do, this is part of the education I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Like yeah, I'm getting educated right get now. It, right? Because people say to me, how many theaters, how many theaters? Are we going to get 100 theaters? Can we have 200 theaters? And the question is, that's not... That's not the question. <laughs> the question is in how many theaters, because if, if I have 100 theaters and I'm only, I'm, the, 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 the factor that, that it matters is the per theater average, right? So I'd rather have 20 theaters and be doing $3,800 per theater, fill in the seats, yeah. than have 100 theaters and be doing $1,200 a theater mm -hmm. or $800 a theater. Right. Right? So, And it, as long as it says those numbers uh, add up and it's a national release, yeah. those, those uh, are enticing words to yeah. these overseas guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And they'll notice it. Hmm. They'll notice now, it. Now, where do film festivals fit in with your, your plan? Well, film festivals, I think, are a really valuable way you know, for marketing as well. And this is one of the reasons I try to encourage filmmakers that a lot of filmmakers uh, earlier on, are, myself included, by the way. And by the way, everything I've ever said, uh, you know, is a mistake I've made. So, mm -hmm. oh, that's great. I'm coming from that place of of, of that. But um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Film festivals. Oh yeah. So what'll happen more often than not is filmmakers these days are using acquiring or trying to acquire minimum guarantees from distributors or pre-sales, right? 
in order and taking that money uh, or, or in taking those things and monetizing them, turning it into cash and up front in advance and using it to make their movie with, right? Oh, wow. Which is something we do. Right. My company does. We, we, we can get those things monetized. The problem is it, it costs 20% to do that. So a $100,000 pre-sale is now really only valued at about 80 grand, right? So it costs money to do it. Sure. The other thing is if I sign up with a distribution company before I make the film in order to do that and the film comes out fantastic and I want to go to the film festivals to compete, I can go to the film festivals, but I can't compete. Because I already signed a distribution deal. Oh, okay. So I can't sit there and hope somebody's going to come up and make, write me a check for $8 million yeah. as an acquisition. Cause I, and if they do, now i got to deal with the guy that I signed a deal with and give him a cut just right. to get out. Yeah. <laughs> just to get out of the deal. And for what? Oh, for $80,000? Right. I, 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 I cut off my nose to spite my face. Yeah. So in my world, what I fight to do is... Um, is finance these movies as much as possible with pure cash equity mm-hmm. without having to go through all that. No um, strings attached. Just it's just pure, we're going to make so, your money back. Yeah. And if I need to raise $2 million, we raise $2 million. And And another, another issue is talent, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to attach talent. And the reason is because most filmmakers are trying to attach talent and they have no money. Mm. They have zero in their bank account. Right. But they're making $350,000 offers to so-and-so for five days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can't back the offer, mm. which is not a smart move. Now, you, you, you <laughs> always hear about them offering points to actors. Yeah, Does but you've got to get in the door first. Right. You got to get in the door first. You can't, or you know, yeah, you can offer points if when you get into the table mm-hmm. and start negotiating the deal. But you got to get in the door. And if you're making an offer and you don't have any money, so what we do is we raise the money first, mm-hmm. right? Novel idea, because <laughs> it's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. But this whole tax credit thing and minimum guarantees and and and, and pre sales has changed all that over the last ten years. Mm. So. Because there hasn't been a lot of money out there. Right. So we're trying to rectify that by bringing investors to the table that will write the check for the whole amount and prevent us from having to go cut all of those corners, right, and go make the best movie that we know how, mm-hmm. and then go out there at the film festivals or wherever and compete with this cool movie that we just made. Yeah. Now, that could work against us because if the movie doesn't come out so great and then we're, you know... We're 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 dead in the water, and we can always look back. And go, oh, I should have taken that deal <laughs> mm. with those distributors, right? Yeah. But you have to you'd have to mess up pretty bad for that to be the case. But for the most part, you know, it's it's if if you can get the investors to put their money up contingent upon your uh, performance, mm-hmm. which is what I basically do. I put my butt on the line every day. I'm like, you can put that million dollars in the account into the production account. And my agreement with them is we're going to leave it in there between 12 and 18 months. And if I can't... And here's a list of five actors or directors or both Mm -hmm. that I'm going to go after with your money. (laughs) And if I fail, take it back. End of deal. Wow. But if I succeed, (laughs) we're going to drop the cash. Or the money's already in there. But we're going to spend it. Yeah. And, I, and I didn't have the authority to spend it once I get those actors involved. Now, uh, one last thing on the festivals. You know, when we were talking about the uh, the releasing in theaters and how important that is for distribution overseas, how important it is is it to to win a festival? Does that increase well, the value? It depends on what the festival is. You right. know, I, I see these films, and they've got, what are they, laurels? Is that yeah, yeah. Uh, they've got 30 of them on their poster. Right. But you never heard of any one of those film festivals. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's these teeny, weeny, tiny little nowhere out there in the middle of somewhere in nowhere. Yeah. And they won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> or the Audience Award. Mm-hmm. So It's got to be the Sundance, the it's Toronto's. Good, it's good, yeah, it's got to be a top-tier festival. Yeah. If you're, if you, if you're competing in and, and, and winning in a top-tier film festival... 
then you got something. And if you look at these festivals like Toronto and um, and uh, Tribeca and Sundance, you know, look at some of these films. I mean, there's some pretty major heavy hitter films out there with big stars in them. Oh yeah. And that's what you're competing against. Yeah. So, it is not easy getting into that world. You know. Yeah, you're kind of in the independent space that the studios have forgotten, it feels yeah. like. I mean, yeah. they used to make uh, films, correct me if I'm wrong, in the range you do. Now it's fewer they and tried. fewer. They tried. They tried. Like yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, they stuff. did. They yeah. all opened up these little divisions because they saw us. Look, when I first started off, um, we were a joke. The independent filmmakers were perceived as jokes. We were hmm. just a bunch of jokes. Yeah. You know, back when I first came here, mm-hmm. right, to AFM. So nobody took us seriously. And then we started winning all the Oscars for Best Picture, mm-hmm. right? I think we're like seven out of eight or something in a row of wow. independent films. Sure, sure. Um, that were made independently. Made, they may have been distributed through the studio system like a Sony or, or Paramount or Warner Brothers. But they, but they were made independently for a million and a half or three and a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the... Then, now we're a force to be reckoned with. And look at how many more of us there are, mm-hmm. right? So I think the, the, the tides have changed in that, in that regard. And you're able to get the stars on your own. I mean, you work with, like you said, Gary Oldman. Well, I wouldn't call it on my own. Right. Uh, the Gary Oldman thing came from the director. He was mm. a first-time director at the time. And uh, he, 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 that was all him, man. He sat down. He, he managed to get the meeting. And he sat down. I think they went to lunch and... It was supposed to be like a half-hour meeting, and it turned out to three. You know, one of those deals, and you know, Gary signed onto the film. But yeah, listen, anytime you can have relationships directly with uh, the talent, mm-hmm. uh, I have one now. I can't really talk, you know, say who it is, but I'm doing one right now with a really major A-list, you know, actor, and uh, uh, he's he's not going to be in the movie, but he's he's going to be uh, executive producing as well, and and. Um, so it's things like that that, you know, the longer you're in this business like I have been, the more opportunities like that that you get. Because, the rea- and look, at the end of the day, you always have to go through protocol. You always have to deal with the agents and the managers. But, you know, we, if you want some kind of assurance that the, that the agent or the manager is even going to take a look at the, your project, if you can go in from the back door and, you know, have lunch with the actor, mm-hmm. and and have them tell the agent, take a look at this deal. You know, it's a different, obviously, a very different situation. It's easier said than done, but... So what's the most satisfying part about what you do? Is it hanging out with actors no. and meeting directors? <laughs> is it the finished it's, film? It is. It does, for me, it's the moment of sitting in that theater and having that... I was like, almost, I almost get emotional just thinking about it. Uh, and being in that theater and having those lights go out and after ugh, all of that you know because whatever the movie is it was a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> a oh, pain yeah. and heartache and stress and tears and you know all that and fun and joy and laughter you know so I don't I don't want to make it sound dismal because this is supposed to be fun you know yeah it's just hard it's just hard it's yeah. really really hard so and this is why I say, look, I've got a lot of times I'll go to films, people invite me, I try to support every filmmaker I can. Mm-hmm. And if somebody invites me and if I can go, I go and I'll watch their film. Now, sometimes these films are just very difficult to watch. Right? And um, but at the same time, I'm like, good for you. Congratulations. You know, like it might have not been the best film I've seen, but you did it. And the fact that you went through that process and whatever it took, because I know what that means. I yeah. know how hard it is. Then I feel as though they are to be congratulated. Even if it's a short film, it doesn't matter. If they, if they, if they have the chutzpah and they, get it, they figured out how to get the money and get the people and get the thing done and shoot it and edit it and get it into a theater, then they're already doing something right. Yeah. You know? where, I come from, where I come in is I'm the guy that if I say to uh, writers all the time and producers, if you're here to get a movie financed, <clears throat> I'm not your guy. Mm-hmm. But if you're here to play the long game and you're looking for a career as a filmmaker and you're willing to do 
the work and take the steps and start humbly from the beginning, no matter what you've done mm-hmm. up until this point. Because if you're coming from that world of having done a bunch of shorts and you know having some good experience and whatever, whatever, and even if you've made a feature, if you've made a feature for 100 grand or 150 grand, that's all cool, right? But when you talk about doing movies in the millions, you're now going from the minor leagues to the Olympics. And when you come to me, you're training for those Olympics. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not in shape, <laughs> mm-hmm. then it ain't going to work. <laughs> You'll be if, out of air and, quick. Because number one, you're going to drop out because you're not. And number two, I got to move on because the guy behind you, he's ready. Right. <laughs> he's, I like Or that. she. They're yeah. ready, ready, ready. They're more than ready. They're ready to knock you out. Mm-hmm. And step in, and take your place, mm-hmm. right? And and that's the deal. And, and you're so, very open and uh, yeah. giving with your information and, and almost mentorship. It sounds like. Um, how often is the case that filmmakers just kind of don't absorb what you're trying to tell them? Because well, I would feel like uh, you're giving them kind of the key to the kingdom, you know, in a lot of ways. Well, yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. I've heard that before. I don't. I don't necessarily see it that way. I don't feel like I'm. You know, I'm. I'm giving anything. I, first of all, I haven't done anything new, right? I, I don't. All I've done is like my whole development program. When people walk away from the video or from the class, and again, I, it's always free. I've never taught, taught, uh, caught, charged any money for that class because I want people to hear this information, right? There may be one or two people who, at the end of it, might come up to me and we'll actually work together and we'll do a deal and I'll end up making money that way. But my intention is to uh, get the information across and make sure, because here's how I feel about it. If you're out there, if you go out, I don't know you from Adam, and you go out there and you find some investor to put a million dollars up for your movie, God love you, right? But then if, you're in, if you end up only being able to recoup 250000 of that million dollars, you now have, not only do you have a very big problem on your hands, but now, how are you going to go r- raise money for your next movie? Right. When you're already in the hole for the first one, number one. Number two, beyond that, that investor, whoever that person may be, is going to go shout from the mountaintops about what bad news we, film community independent, <laughs> are. Like, whatever you do, stay away from those people. <laughs> right? Yeah. So if, if that happens, you are having an adverse sort of domino effect on me. Oh, right. And all of the people that come to AFM and all around the world that are independent filmmakers because you're contributing to giving us all a bad name. Sure. Now, again, maybe it's because of ignorance and lack of information, which we can fix with education. But if you do know the, the, the information and you still end up in that position, then that means what you just said. You're not listening. Mm-hmm. You think you know better. And that's going to cost you potentially your career. It's going to cost the investor hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And at some point, it's going to tap into the rest of of all of us that are out there, you know, fighting for the same thing. Yeah, and the goal is to keep making films. So you want to pay them back. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that the whole point? Totally, yeah. Not only do you want them to be happy, right, but you want them to go pull in all their friends. Yeah. I always say there's two kinds of investors. There's the, I call it the ROI guy, right? All they care about is um, the the return, and how, how much and when, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then there's what I call the red carpet investor. Mm-hmm. The red carpet investor is the person who wants, you know, to come on set and hang out with the kid, bring his kid to the set, and they want to be on the red carpet, and mm-hmm. you know, and they want to tell people they're a they, filmmaker. They, they well, uh, yeah, they want to say I'm an executive producer on a Hollywood movie. And right. They want to invent. They're gonna, they're the ones who are going to invite 300 people to the screening, <laughs> just for that eight seconds of their name being up on right. that screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I love that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I love that. Um, um, so, 
And then there's, I call it the hybrid, which is both, you know, mm -hmm. somebody, which is the ideal, you know, mm. that they care about the money. But a lot of these people that are red carpet, they really don't care about the money. Right. So you could actually uh, lose their investment. And they they and could be happy. As, they'll still come back and do it again. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But the idea is to give them a good experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially if it's their first time, especially if it's your first time and it's their first time then you want to give them a good experience, and you want them to walk away. And I always say, you've heard the term ROI, sure. right? which, of course, means uh, return on investment. Well, I have re-coined re that phrase, and I now call it return of investment. Oh. Right? Because to what the point we're making here, if you at least return the investment, <laughs> you're still a hero. Mm, right, because right, yeah. you didn't lose my money. Right, you got so it back. So if I just gave you a million bucks and you gave me back a million, I'm good, man. <laughs> I just dodged a bullet. Mm, yeah. <laughs> now, if you can bring me one point two, then we're in business. Mm -hmm. If you can bring me three extra million because of the upside, because the thing took off and went through the roof that nobody expected, good for all of us. But the idea is to break even and make a few bucks. Yeah. At the beginning. Mm -hmm. on the first couple. Then you can start talking about Oscars and $100 million budgets, you know. But you got to work your way up to that, I think. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm taking up so much time. Let me get a few more questions, sure. then we can wrap up. Okay. But, um, you know, we're here at AFM. This is my first time here. And, uh, you know, I'm here as press, so I'm not really in it. In it. Yeah. But... Um, you, you mentioned how it's changed over the years. Could you touch on that? And could you touch on how your approach has changed when coming here? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always done the four-day pass. You know, they have the different uh, levels. I don't see any reason to do much more than that. I do see the value of, if it's somebody's first time, of going to some of the conferences and, and really, you know, there's some pretty valuable information out there and, some really great people out there to, to listen to. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, you know, um, I just feel like I, it's really hard to explain it, why it feels different. Mm -hmm. This year in particular, and I'm hearing it from a lot of other people. It's not, it's not just my own sort of reaction. I know I f it feels like there are a lot. First of all, the rules have gotten much more stringent, uh, which is, a, you know, it's a good thing in that, you don't want just anybody walking through here, which is how it used to be. But now it's just everything is so rigid and tight, and you just feel like, you know, like I have a couple of colleagues that I, they can't even come in to hang out and have a drink or a coffee because they got to pay for the badge, and right. the badges have gotten a lot more expensive, and mm -hmm. there are less distributors now than there used to be. Um, um, and one of the distributors said to me at lunch the other day, Nobody's signing contracts on the spot anymore like they used to. Used to be, you come in, you saw a movie, you loved it, you wrote the check, it was over, it was good. Right. Now it's weeks and weeks of follow-up, and sometimes they never even get back to you. And it's like, it's just harder now, mm -hmm. you know. It, it's still a great place to come and have some fun. And, you know, look, for me, at, after 17 years, it, for me, it's just a reunion, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it's an opportunity, to, you know. There are people that, that live and work a quarter of a mile from me that I only see once a year here, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that that's that's one good thing for me is I get, plus the people who I do know from all around the world that do come here. Mm -hmm. It's our annual thing. The other thing that's great for me personally is that now that I've built this whole development program, which I didn't have back you know four or five years ago, I work with a lot of filmmakers that live in different parts of the world, in different parts of the United States. And everything is done by Skype and by email sure. and by electronic transfers and all that stuff. So we never even meet. Mm -hmm. So AFM is often a good excuse for them to come to L.A. for a couple of days and for us to, you know, break bread. And, I mean, there are people that, like I said, I've been talking, you know, working with mm -hmm. for years. And we, we, we meet for the first time here. That's pretty you know, incredible, yeah. yeah. So that's cool. That's that's a good aspect of it. But um, yeah, it's just a different vibe. It's just a different feel. So it was a little more wild west back in the day. I mean, yeah, and you it, always yeah. hear the 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 rumor or the myth that uh, somebody came here with just a poster and, and signed yeah. a great deal. Well, you, you, you look. I had that happen to me. Yeah, 
it wasn't here. Oh. But it was at, you know, I had, we, we made a phony poster and sent it out. We came back with a $120,000 sale. Wow. You know, to, so, but the, yeah, those days are over. That, that stuff just doesn't happen anymore. That's the unfortunate part. But yeah, I mean, look, the Wild Wild West, there was some wild, wild. I mean, I remember people running through the thing like half naked, mm-hmm. trying to get people's attention, actors and actresses doing crazy stunts to get people, producers' attention. And it was fun. You yeah, know? it sounds fun. It was fun. a little tacky, but <laughs> it was fun, you know. And so, so I get th- that they had to kind of curb that. Yeah. But I think it's just gone too far now. And I think it's just too rigid and, um, and you know, so for me, it's more of a social event, you know. As far I don't, I'm not here to sell anything. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to buy anything. <laughs> you know? Well, for those uh, first-time uh, attendees, you know, maybe a filmmaker who who has its his first feature done, um, could you give us any advice for them coming if, to AFM if they have their first fil- feature film already finished? Sure, or or even oh, yeah. a script. I mean, yeah. Well, if they, it's, two, it's two completely different things, I right? Mean, if if they have a, a feature that's finished. Yeah, this is a great place, right? Because um, you know, the, 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 this is exactly what this is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Is finding material, um, a content that 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 these people uh, in these uh, offices can sell, and you know, getting that out there as much as possible and taking as many meetings as possible. I've got one in my bag I've been carrying around because it's one of my friends that's a filmmaker and I thought they did a really good job. And so every time I sat down with the distributor, I said, hey, let me give you a copy of this. Take a look at it. I don't know if something's going to come out of it, Mm -hmm. you know. So, but that's different, you know what I mean? But as far as people who are aspiring to be filmmakers and are coming here, you know, don't, what I say, don't be looking for is money. This isn't the place to come to look for money. Hmm. I think that that's uh, an illusion. Um, I, I think the, the reality is come here and build relationships. S- create, start, you know, and maintain. And maintain them. You know, don't just take somebody's card and take off and say, see you next year at AFM. Right. Because they're not going to remember you. But, you know, that's what I did. I spent a lot of time um, getting to know the distributors because distributors, distribution is such a critical aspect, right? You can make the best movie that you know how. You could spend a million dollars or $2 million. And then if nobody ever sees it, what would would have been the point? <laughs> right, and if you're close with them, they can kind of tell you what they want to distribute, what type yeah. of films. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. into their heads, find out, meet, learn, like mm-hmm. meet these people and um, educate yourself. But I think the biggest thing is don't have any expectations. I think that's that's the biggest thing because I think a lot of people come here with an expectation that they're gonna get something, mm-hmm. and then they're sadly disappointed when they go home, and they. And what's worse is sometimes you get the impression that you are getting something, and then you get home and find out that uh, the, the tune has changed or something, or you try to do the follow-up and nobody returns your emails. And There's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's a lot of hype. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but there's also still a lot of value. So I'm not trying to talk down the FM. There's definitely value here. But I think it just depends on what you come in with as your expectations. And like mm-hmm. I said, if you know, I have met a couple of people in the last couple of days that they're like, "Yeah, I'm here to raise money for my movie," and I'm like, "Well, you're probably in the wrong place mm-hmm. for that." Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's great. I mean, uh, to all, our, all of the listeners out there, this man has been here 17 years in a row, mm-hmm. so he knows what he's talking about. Um, is there anything else you you want to touch on? Uh, well, like I said, I think for me, the most important thing is if you have a script, if you, whether you're the writer or not, right, if you have a script and you believe in that project, uh, well, there's two things I want to say about that. Yeah. Well, one of them is just know that um, that's not enough. It's not even close. <laughs> like, you really, you have to be selling... When you're talking to investors, you have to be selling an opportunity, an investment opportunity, not an idea or your creative brilliance. That's not what they're investing in. Right. Many investors don't even read these scripts. Hmm. They'll just write the check based on the facts and the numbers. You know, and the way I liken it is if, uh, 
if 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 you were a, if we were a, if I was an attorney and I represented you, and I was getting ready to go to court in front of a jury, and I had to proclaim your innocence, what's my evidence mm-hmm. that's going to convince those people that you're innocent? <laughs> I'm going to bust my butt to make sure that I've got every corner covered for any possible cross-examination that I'm going to get yeah. <laughs> so that I got the answer that makes sense, that makes the jury go, ah, that guy's right and the other guy's wrong. <laughs> and right? this goes back to the projections and the... All of it. Yeah. The whole thing. And having a script is none of that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to say about the script is it, two things. <laughs> Sorry. Now I get crazy. No, please. If it's your baby, people say, this is my baby. And it's going to be a $5 million movie, and you want to direct it? There's nothing wrong with that. Have your $5 million baby that you're going to direct. But don't do it first. <laughs> don't have that oh, be right. the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. <laughs> if that's true... Save it. Do it third. Yeah. Go make a movie for $350,000, cut your teeth, get some experience, make some money uh, for your investors, prove yourself. Mm-hmm. Then go from three fifty to a million. Then think about your baby. Right. So there's that. The other thing is the unwillingness. This is the worst one for me because this is a complete deal breaker for me. Okay. To change, uh, not to change, but to um, to be flexible around the script. They provo- they they send the script in. We do an analysis on it. And we have recommendations and changes, right? Well, those recommendations changes are there for a reason. We're not we're not going to try to change the integrity of the story. Mm-hmm. Nobody's interested in that. <clears throat> but I have so many writers that just sort of cross their arms, sure. tighten up, and go, nope, 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 nope. This is my baby. I wrote it. This is the way it's going to be. I'm like, okay, good. Well, then you go for finance it, mm-hmm. <laughs> because. And that's based on the changes are probably based on what distributors are looking for, what the yeah, markets want, yeah. the trends. There's a lot of things yeah. that have to be taken into account. And one of the things, what I do in my, in my development program is I bring in a script analyst. I bring in a high-level pr- production uh, uh, manager or producer, line producer, wow. to create the budgets and the schedules. I bring in a sales team. I bring in a casting director. I bring in a production attorney. Mm-hmm. I even bring in a post-production uh, supervisor, no. because we're going to try to anticipate what the challenges are going to be moving forward, and we want to be there. Because look, at the end of the day, if I'm going to go send my script to CAA because I want an actor there, don't you think the very first thing they're going to do is run internal coverage on my script? And what they're probably going to do, if they pass, they're not going to tell me why. Mm. They're just going to say no. Right? So if I'm not willing to take a hard look and a deep dive into my own project mm-hmm. and try to counterbalance whatever they might possibly say to, re, to you know to reject me and fix any holes that are in this thing, um, then I got to do it. And 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 what sometimes that means is either pairing up with another writer or allowing another writer to come in and take a stab at it mm-hmm. and letting an, a third pers- an objective perspective come in and, and take a look at it. And if they're afraid of that, then that's going to prevent me from being able to help them. And that's the thing I run into way too much, yeah, is that they just don't want to, they don't want to, they they're holding on so tight that, um, you know, I remember somebody saying, if you hold an egg in your hand and you just let it sit there, it could stay there forever. But as soon as you clench it, because you want to keep it, mm-hmm. it's going to crack and make a mess. Mm. <laughs> and that's how I feel about the script. It's yeah. like, if you want to clench it, then you clean up the mess. Right. Well, that's all really good stuff, Franco. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, can you, can you tell the people out there where they might be able to hear you speak or find yeah. you online? Yeah, well, the best, obviously, the, the, probably the best place to go is um, to my website, which is just samacofilms.com. Uh, I encourage people to look at the development page on there. We can see the trailers to all my films, nice. most of them. And uh, the development page has the pitch decks for all of the films I have going going on and going into development and going into production. Oh, wow. Uh, I, and there's, there's contact information there. So... I'm very accessible. I don't. I don't hide out. You know, 
uh, if, in, if people are interested in, in contacting me, they can e email directly through the website, and, uh, and I can respond to them that way. So that's probably the best way. As far as the classes are concerned, uh, I just sort of do them spontaneously. I do plan on doing one in December, so I'll probably post that on the site. Okay. You on uh, Twitter or anything like that? No, no. I'm not. I know okay. I should be. So you hide I'm out not. a little. Yeah, I do hide <laughs> out a little. Yeah, yeah. I'm not on any other social okay. media platforms or anything. Well, you got the website. Yeah. The website is, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's it, everything is pretty current right now, so you get an idea of some of the, some of the films, the ki kinds of films I make and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And, um, and like I said, emailing me through that website is probably the best thing. And I really, really do my best to get back to everybody that reaches out to me one way or another, even if it's just a 15-minute telephone call to say hey and to hear out, you know, kind of what they got going on. Um, but I do, anybody who might want to work with us at Samaco and my team, I do recommend that they uh, Google those um, those um, videos that I told you sure. that I don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of, I guess, put my name in there and, and I'm sure a couple of them come up and watch one of those because those uh, those really explain, and also Stage 32. Oh, sure. Uh, I've done a couple with of webinars. With RB. Yeah, I've done a couple of webinars with them. And my favorite favorite is uh, Indie Film Hustle uh, with sure. Alex. Alex Ferrari. Yeah, I did a, I did a, a thing on there and um, I, I get a lot of good positive response from that. That's great. I've had them both on the podcast here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we're all, you know, you know we're on the click. Mm -hmm. We're all a little, you know, in fact, I'm, I'm hopefully to go see them today. Great. So, uh, yeah, you know, so we're all connected. So we can, we can always find me th through all, you know, we can all find each other through that, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing. That's my that's my social network. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on stage 32, and uh, yeah. I'll look you up and connect. Um, yeah, that'd be great. But yeah, thanks, Franco. Cool. This was amazing. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of AFM. What's left of it? Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Feel free to go to our website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter, at IndieFilmGrit. And if you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit? Thank <laughs> you.